Hey, 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 welcome to the Really Charlie Podcast, where I try to bring to you some educational and inspirational speakers, whether they're authors, you know, singers, dancers, entertainers, community activists, whatever it may be. We are really trying, really, like, really, like, really, 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 really trying to get the message out. I know, really? Yeah, yeah, really, we're really trying to get this message out. So join me on the Really Charlie Podcast once, twice, three times, four times a week, it all depends. If you want your story out there, just reach out to me. And I'll put you on the Really Charlie podcast. God bless. And stay blessed. Take care. Hey, 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 welcome to the Really Charlie Podcast. Today's guest is longtime friend, Russell Ramis. And um, I just want to hear his story, you know, behind the lights, camera, and the action. And this dude has um, definitely been a good friend of mine. He's always in, got some inspiration, some kind of story that he wants to pass on and and that's what I like about him. He's always trying to share some knowledge, especially when it's involving involving the city of New Bedford, Mass, and uh, and the Cape Verdean heritage. But um, this dude um, is definitely a good, good guy. And I'm glad, I'm glad, glad to see you, to hear you, and um, you know been a tough year for you so i just want i'm glad you're here bro yeah. and, and charlie i really appreciate you having me come on because it's been a long time uh since anyone's in, you know kind of invited me on um to even talk and say say all the things that have been going on um I, i'm not going to shy away from telling you it's been the last months have been very very tough um you know this situation with this covert it you know it hit me you know it hit hit the loved ones in the house hit hit me and you know, my wife and, you know, it was, it, it was really tough. It was really, really bad. And, um, you know, we went through it and I, 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 I tried everything I could, you know, I was trying to avoid it. You know, we washed the hands, you stay away from this, you stay away from that. And, you know, it's very serious, very serious matter. So, you know, if you believe that maybe this in the beginning, like they thought was, was fake, it's not. I felt like I had electricity running through my body um, I remember in the past, uh, having long time ago, having a collapsed lung, uh, being on on the edge of almost dying after after having a surgery, the lung the lung filling up and having pneumonia and being very sick. And I just thought of all the people that had to suffer that way. And I remember I remember suffering that way in Worcester Hospital, and um, I I I couldn't I couldn't believe that they came in and told me this was going to be you know, your last hurrah. And I said, this is my last hurrah. I couldn't believe it, but I was very fortunate. And, uh, you know, laughter is, is an amazing thing. It was a miracle. It was because I was 
someone cracked a joke. I was laughing hard and I leaned out of the bed, almost fell out and all of the, all of the fluids came out of my body. I leaned back in the bed, fell back in the bed and caught my breath and I, and I survived. So, you uh-huh. know, I, and, and I'm not saying that's a, that's, that's a, uh, you know, some medicine for it, but I remember the suffering. So if you think that someone wasn't suffering, you better believe it because I, I had a hard time breathing. This time when this thing came around with this COVID, um, that was, it felt like electricity. And at times I still feel it, you know, it's in, it's in the body here and there. It, it, it wasn't good. Wow. But, um, I'm glad, yeah. glad you're here. I, and, uh, God bless, man. It's it just very fortunate. Yeah. We, this, uh, this city, this area, this country yeah. has gone through a lot and we lost a very, well, a huge amount of good people, you know, iconic yeah. people in our city that, um, that have gone and, um, you know, they're irreplaceable. Yes. And I'm just glad you're here because you are irreplaceable in my eyes and and many others. So it's our first comment. First comment is from, (laughs) what's up, fellas? What's up? Appreciate it. What's up, DC? Nice, nice, nice. So to tell Um, you guys, it's, it's, it's amazing to be, you know, talking on, uh, you know, this, 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 this platform, because you know my background was radio, and I did, I I started the whole thing off at USM. In case some of you maybe um, forgot about the USM days, man, we had a blast. It was so mm-hmm. much fun doing USM, and, if, and a lot of you maybe wonder how I got started. I I basically was uh, just sitting on a summer's day, just sitting at home. Just, it was in Blue Meadows, and I was I was sitting on the porch, and and one of the the uh, chefs who worked at the university went by and told me, Hey, if you're not doing anything, you could go up to the radio station and become a disc jockey. Now you got to understand the only way I knew about disc jockeying was because I think it was back in, uh, I, I was, I was learning how to DJ at Mata Grande with, um, uh, Blue Jay and, um, <laughs> Dougie Barrett, <laughs> Dougie Barrett and Blue Jay. And I'll give them guys credit. They taught awesome. me how to, uh, they taught me how to put the records on the, you know, on the player. And I, and, and that really took, that was really, it took me a long, it took me a long ways because when I got up there, I knew what I was doing for the records. Uh, as far as being an outspoken person and speaking on the mic, I was a little bit quiet. I wasn't used to that, but, and it was, and I was dealing with a lot of college folks. The only way I knew them is because of Upward Bound. Later on, I, I joined Upward Bound, but um, I started I started going up there on the weekends and learning how to spin. And then a guy named Michael Woodson and Andrea Gah, who's from New Bedford, who are very, very important people to me. They started me out on radio. They they put me under their wings and, and took me to the station. And, man, they, they taught me how to get on the mic. And one day I found myself with a show in with the uh, Raider Barrels and, you know, all, all the great, all the great David, David Rawls and, you know, a whole bunch of great people that, that were on there, Rick Rosenfeld. And you know, this is, we went up there and we just had such a good time. And I remember just spending so much time in the studio. I didn't want to do anything but stay at the radio station. As a matter of fact, sometimes on my show would be on a Sunday and my Sunday show would be from like 10 to two in the morning. And at times I didn't even have a ride 
I didn't have a ride home, right? I, I had to leave the university and, and just walk home. And where I lived, I lived way down the South End in Rockdale. But I wanted to do radio so bad. I didn't care if I had to walk home. And at times I did do a, I gave a pitch out there. I said, who would like to give me a ride home? You know, or when it was uh, the school year, I'd, I'd give a pitch out and one of the students would say, hey, come on over to the dorms and crash for the night if you don't, you know, if you don't want to take the walk. Or I'd ride a bike. You know, and it was really, it was a lot of fun, man. I can't, I can't tell you. I, I really, I really started out in the news department. I wanted to be a newscaster. I really didn't want to, you know, DJ so much. I just wanted to read the news. And yeah. uh, I practiced, I went in the room and I sweated it out. And I, I read the script and I read the script and I used to pre-record my newscast. And, uh, you know, you get a lot of opposition. You know, I had, I had, pe- I had one guy come in and tell me one day, he says, you know, you really don't look like a newscaster. <laughs> I, said, I said, what's a newscaster supposed to look like? <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I said, I don't look like a newscaster. I had to close the door on him and say, hey, man, I'm going to I'm going to practice this. And so I used to have a blast. I go up there between the shows and someone would have a show. It'd be a rock show, a punk show, whatever it was. And I press the button and there was my newscast. And I remember. The hottest word, I had such a difficult time saying congressional. I couldn't say congressional. And it used to be AP wire. It would come out on a on on the sisters. There was this big machine in the hallway. You'd rip and read the news, run into the run into the studio. So it got to the point where I got so confident with it that one time they always spelled things phonetically in in the AP wire so you could say it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'd rip it and and I was I started doing live live news broadcast. Cause I just got to the point where I said, you know what, if I make a mistake, this is a practice ground for me. There were many times when I got on the radio and um, we were spinning records and I'd pick up the, the album in between the song or something. And I'd say, Oh no. And then I'd go home and I'm walking around and everyone would say, we heard you last night. Take the, <laughs> heard you take the, I'm off with a record. And I was like, oh, man, my stomach, I get butterflies. And then I said, and one day I went, you know what? Let me just go up there and do the best. Before you know it, I was pressing buttons with my feet. I was just going nuts. I was making promos. It was such a blast. We had, I remember sitting there one night and I looked out the window and I saw a limo. And it was real late night on a Sunday. And I said, what's this limo doing out there? And then I saw uh-huh. a guy come out curly hair and he had these two big guys with him and i said i said who could this be and it was and i so i run i, I put a 45 record remember 45s you know big yeah. 45 records so i put that on and i ran down to the door and i'm looking through the door to see who it was and it's curtis blow right mm-hmm. i said curtis blow i said you gotta be kidding me so he said hey can you let me in so i i said sure i said curtis oh yeah curtis blow he says she goes, I was traveling through and I heard the radio station and I wanted to come up. And I said, please come up, man. So <laughs> he came up That's to the nice. studio and we hung out and we had such a good time, man. Curtis was so cool. And then, you know, he's just an average guy, man. He was, we were just talking like we're talking now. And then so I, I happened to say to him, hey, Curtis, um, you don't sound like Curtis Blow. Yeah. I mean, how you say that to Curtis Blow? Yeah. Curtis was like Russ. I'm a businessman. He says, let's go into the studio. So we, we get into the recording studio and mm-hmm. he turns the mic on and he's like, I'm Curtis Blow and I'm listening to 91.1 <laughs> FM. And I was like, wow, that's how you do it. <laughs> he says, sure, uh, man. So All for nothing, right? 
Yeah, it was a, it was a blast. I was doing my um, I was doing my Ali um, impression. I was like, I was like, you know, some. I said, let me tell you something. I I would do these ninety one point one impersonations. Everybody didn't know it was me, so I I had one where I'd go, you're listening to ninety one point one FM. Ali, what do you think of that? I said, you know, something. I would hit three times, three times heavyweight champion. Russell's three times heavyweight champion. So I'd have a blast. We'd have these promos <laughs> going on, man. And uh, I remember one time I was in 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 the in USM, and they had a promo for Gil Scott Heron and, and Gil Gil Scott. <laughs> yeah, somebody put Gil Scott just had uh, Curtis just had a heart transplant. I'm sorry to hear that, man. I'm yeah. very very sorry. To hear. He's a great great man. We had so much fun up there. I'll just tell you a real short thing that happened. One of he had two bodyguards with him. They were big, big guys. And, you know, somebody said, oh, one of them said, you know, they got to go use the restroom. So USM was always docked in the corridors. You had to go down to the restroom. It was in a dark place. So I said, okay, let's go down there. But you got to, you know, guys got to stay close to me, man. We got to really be careful. So I was jumping up against the walls and hope, you know, I'd move one way and I'd say, okay, you can move to here. And and the two guys that were with him, they were so they were so tight and big. They were just so serious. And uh-huh. I had them following behind me, and they they run in and run out. And before you know it, we finally came up to the station. They said, and I and I was looking and laughing, and they said they said, "Man, you you are just so crazy." And I remember it's sad because Curtis uh, at the end of the night gave me his number, and I he wrote it on a napkin because he was he was DJing down at um they called it the Vault which was across from where the library is. There was a club there, beautiful club, beautiful yep. days when everybody used to go out and dance and have a good time. And he was DJing and he gave me his number and he wanted me to go to New York and do some, some, uh, you know, animated voices and stuff like that. Those are all those moments where you wish, you know, you had, you had got that straight, but yeah, well, it all started with the radio and then kind of led to some, you know, the acting and stuff, which was, you know, really my, really my heart i really wanted to do the acting it um the uh i seen the uh the video of um you outside the the old cherry and web and um the craziest thing is i don't remember that i thought i was following you pretty good you know when you was doing a scene out there um and uh, oh, i said oh, why well, oh, oh. and uh, i says i got to I had checked this out, man, but um, I actually want to talk to you some more about that later. But um, <laughs> let's um, before we get into the acting, let's let's do this while we have quite a bit of people here and 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 looking at the comments, you know, these people are quite familiar about the person we're going to talk to talk about. I know I was going to let you take the lead, but now that I think about it, this may be a good opportunity to talk about our friend. Um, absolutely absolutely this is the this is the moment you know and and i want everyone to understand um i i have been waiting for this chance to talk to child to, to for Charlie to do for us to do something about it but there's a really great guy in our community who's who's he, he's a hero and he and he's it's passed this has passed by him so many times and i know you you know you was you did so much with andre mccoy but andre mccoy had an, a fantastic uh cousin uh, a lot of us grew up in the boys club. A lot of us went there. We learned how to be strong there. We did everything there. We did everything from 
from from playing in the gym to learning how to cook a raisin pie. We had we did so much there. And this gentleman, um, he he did a he did a a, a fantastic thing. He's both a friend of you and I. His name is Willie. Um, the community knows who Willie is, and here's the story. Uh, basically, what happened was I was near New Bedford High School. Russell, we, what? Let's um, it's Willie Pierce, folks. You know. It's okay, Willie we Pierce. can say it's, okay. Let's say Willie yeah. Pierce. Uh, with respectfully, uh, Willie, Willie was near New Bedford High School, and it was a huge balloon race. There was, I don't know, fifty giant balloons going by New Bedford High School, and I saw this with my own eyes. Uh, one of the balloonists. Uh, was a young woman, her balloon went out of control and her balloon uh, came down and was about to hit New Bedford High School. And she was screaming and she threw a rope down. And when she threw the rope down, Willie grabbed the rope. Now, this is amazing task. He grabbed the rope and I just remember him just wrapping it around his arm. He just wrapped it around his arm and he just dug himself down really tight. Now, you can imagine winds blowing. This balloon is up about 50 feet and Willie just held the balloon. He held the balloon from hitting the, hitting the New Bedford high school. And it was such a big deal that um, uh, it was enough that he held it so that she could bring it down. And when she did, I mean, crowds just came around. Everyone was just patting Willie on the back. And um, it was, um, it was it was quite it was quite a task, but he um, he 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 basically saved her life, and he's someone that should get some credit for this. And this is a great opportunity to talk about it. But when when she did bring the balloon down, she gave him a ride. She took him up about fifty feet. She put him in the balloon, and they both went up. So wow. you know, on many occasions, I tried to find this article in the newspaper and you know where I work so I can look through reels. I haven't found it. I made phone calls. I couldn't find a balloon company, but uh, this is something that we should do as a community and round up. And as you know, um, that was, that was Andre McCoy's cousin and he reflected the strength and intelligence and, and just drive that we had as kids and everything that we've ever succeeded in has been because of the boys club. You know, because of the boys club, the boys club, um, <laughs> the boys club taught us all the things that we needed to do to survive. And we were kids that on a Saturday we took off and that's the place we went and did our thing. Whether we were carving wood, bowling or cooking a, a raisin pie. This was the this was the stuff that, you know, we did. And he, and he reflected it. That's that's what, what I saw. You know, all the guys that, you know that that went there it just it you know just exemplified what it's all about it's amazing i'm gonna go back to uh this comment i think you should hear uh from nathan victor he says my man russell always a class act thanks for all the motivational talks when i was a kid you inspired me in the avenue of broadcasting respect my brother and um you know so you're being an inspiration. You've been an inspiration and, and, and Nathan's done some great things, you know, and, and, you know, I'm glad that you were able to take the time and sit down with him. Like I see you doing with many, many people. And, um, so you, you know, we, we talk about it on every podcast and I always say, I'm trying to give people their flowers while they're standing up. 
and um you know and these are the things that you need to hear and and I, I try to encourage a lot of people you know approach one of your mentors approach somebody that took the time even if it was just two minutes when you were a kid and they talked to you about whatever it may be you know goal setting um you know maybe correcting some bad behavior that you did or whatever you know go up to that mentor and thank them thank them for uh just being there because sometimes a lot of people just kind of forget those things you know we we we're just doing it out of kindness of our heart you know and um and i know you're you're definitely doing that too russell so yeah. but uh and we got we got earl white in the comment section oh, doing man. well you know and um let me get a just a quick i i want to say uh Thanks, Earl. Earl, Earl, you see the big thing Earl's just done now. He's gone in all leads. He got himself a, a speaking role on the CSI. He's definitely someone you gotta you gotta jump him. You gotta put him up in here because I'm so proud of him, man. He just he just rocked it, and he and he's he's out there doing what he's got to do. So that's what we're doing. A lot of people don't know they hear a lot of the negative stuff about New Bedford, but we have all we all have heroes in this place, and you may not hear of them, but they're all over the place. They're all over the place. Whether you, sure. you know, you mentioned in uh, uh, Rock or <laughs> yeah, yeah, good old Rock out there doing his thing, or or and it's not just mu- you know, music. We got writers. We have oh my god, we have people. You 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 have Derek Rose, who's uh, uh, uh he's also this is a guy who's the CSI. He's a, it's a long story. I can't even. It's a whole new book. If I was to stop to talk about Derek, because he was the first DJ. Uh, on AM radio that used to play all of the P funk, whether if you if you like all the, mm-hmm. all the stuff that was was coming out back in the day, um, uh, Bootsy and all that stuff. He was the one sitting on County Street uh, playing all the music that we needed to hear. So uh, it's amazing, man. It's just we just we just get a lot of great, and this is definitely a platform where you can, you know, give everybody the props they need. But going back to Willie, we need to see Willie get get his day maybe we can all get together and you know put make that happen for him so true the um you know if if even if he doesn't have an understanding of it at least his family will you know and they 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 deserve to see that and and hear about it you know and i guarantee you maybe rich maybe a willie didn't even sit tell the story to most of his family you know he just mm-hmm. went about his day and went back to the club and hung up um, I got to give credit to Damon Amandin, uh, who actually left a comment here. Um, David, Damon's the one that, you know, gave me that little plug in my ear to reach out to you and get you on there. He said, Russell put a lot, Russell put it a lot of young people who are, who were chasing dreams in touch with the resources and tutelage to get their journey started. We need more brothers like him. I have told I have told his face to told him face to face how important he is to this community. Great, great guest. I agree. He is a great guest. That's why we got him here. I didn't hesitate. I made sure that I reached out to you. Um, normally I'm usually prank calling you at three in the morning and then hanging yeah, up, yeah, you know, yeah, but, I, but I, you know, so, but I'm glad I called you for this. Hmm. Actually, you probably thought I was joking around at first, right? I thought it was April Fool's, but 
Pat Victor says, hey, Charlie, I ran into my friend Eric Brito, and he wants to get to you, uh, get with you about the 1980 New Bedford High School basketball team. Holler at him. I sure will. Eric Brittle, we de- yeah, we definitely see Eric Brittle, man. He's a, he's another one. He's a great guy, man. He's always doing what he's doing. But there's so many so many unsungs out there. Yep, sure is. You know, yep. true bounces all over the world, um, and uh, it's it's great. He's, he's, and I like to get him on here. We we were supposed to have him on um, a couple of months back, but um, you know, it was a it was a problem. So. But I will get in touch with Eric Brito and uh and definitely hear his story along with that nineteen eighties basketball team. Um also um one of the best things I remember about you was um and is is being at Keith Middle School. Right. When you were there, you know, and definitely being around the kids, teaching them. Um you had the air, they were listening to you. Um, and then also you were doing some other things on the side, you know, with your acting, uh, production. Um, let me see. What was you, I remember being, uh, you was at the, uh, where the New Bedford Harbor Hotel is. Um, what program was that that you were involved in? Was that, we mean when I was on the Ernestina? No, no, this was, um. Some production like radio or something like that, but we'll we'll get back to that. Let's let's go into you know acting and the and the roles and and mm-hmm. you know what you what started you what got you started and and yeah, well the biggest the biggest thing that happened to me was it was it was always because of the experience and it was if it wasn't for Mister Lopes and you know getting that that Ernestina going um, uh, one day you know I was walking around the city one summer looking for work. I've, I've always wanted to find something. I got to keep myself going, whether it was, you know, flipping burgers or making sandwiches, man. I riding my bike up to D'Angelo's, you know, in the rain, just so I could, I could make, you know, something I had to do it. So one summer I was walking down union street and I saw the ship and it, there was a sign there and the sign said, we're looking for people to come on a ship. I mean, I love water. I've never really been out on a, on a ship, especially the schooner, a schooner. Schooner is really fast. I'll get into detail of that. But um, I went down there and and I spoke to the gentleman. I told him what my background was, communications, working with cameras and stuff. But he said, well, maybe it would be good to have somebody on the ship with, who, who does cameras and stuff. And I said, sure. So he told me, go home, get my bags and, and go to uh, Hyannis and meet us there. And you got to understand, I had never done this before. So I got there, got my bags. I met some people on the dock and they looked at me like, whoa you're gonna you're gonna, you're gonna come on the ship and i said yeah why not my grandfather was a whaler i can do this mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. anyways i got on the on the ernestina and um started the, i remember the night the day the night i got there i was so tired i got in the bunk and i was like oh this is where i sleep and and i, I got in the bowsprit got in my bunk and fell asleep like a baby man you know and then in the middle of the night, they come up and they wake you up in a real quiet way. Like on a ship, they everybody's quiet. And they said, it's your, it's your time to do a watch. And I was like, watch what? <laughs> watch, watch what? So, you know, I got, I, I got on deck and it was nothing but dark water. And we're like 200 miles off of uh, New Bedford somewhere. And, you know, way in deep, deep water. And one thing about deep water, it's like dark jello. It's just, just a dark jello, man. You're just sitting there and, 
I, I, one of my jobs was to check and see how deep we were. I'd have to take a line and measure it from my arm over. And then each one was a fathom, you know, see how deep we were. And then I had to check the compass to make sure it matched those big, those big poles that you see with the light on it. You have to match that to see where the compass is. You mark it in the book. So uh, one night when I was on the ship, I, I was asleep. Well, I was, had my face against the side of the, 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 the bunk and I heard a moon sound. It was a big sound like a, a cow or something. And I, and something was banging the side of the ship. So I went on the deck and I'm looking around, looking around, what is going on here? And all of a sudden, like, like a whole bunch of squid and they were all lit up. It was like watching some Disney movie. Everything just went right under the ship with one big sweep. So I assume a whale was, was chasing the squid. That was my, one of my biggest experiences. And then, and then we sailed out to, you know, we would go up the canal. One day I was on the bowsprit, which I used to love to be on the bowsprit. You know, I'm over there, I get, I'm straddled up on the bow and I'm holding on to the line. And I looked down in the water and, you know, I thought it looked like what I thought was a person with arms yeah. out. And I looked down and it, all of a sudden a fluke of a whale just went right up right near my legs and went right down into the water. So later I learned that what these these whales called minky whales do is they sleep like this. You know, mm-hmm. they sleep upside down, which is kind of dangerous for them in the canal because they can get hit, you know, by by something. But um that whole what that what happened with that experience, I always when I was doing all of this and we were going all over, I didn't complain about it. I just did what I was supposed to, whether it was, you know, um um, um learning how to tie the tied of rigging up or, 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 or cooking on the ship or doing whatever I had to do. I did. I said, there's gotta be a reason behind this. And that's exactly what happened. So, so as far as the acting of this experience helped me because one day when, when I got a call to do the, uh, into the deep, which was for PBS, they were looking for a whaler. They took me to Connecticut. And then when I went to Connecticut and it was, was my, my old hometown, I used to live there when my father was in the Navy. Um, we went to Mystic Seaport, and when we got to Mystic Seaport, uh, they put us in the whale boats, which, which you know, they put us in the real Morgan's whale boats, and we trained and we learned how to row them. So we spent about maybe an hour learning how to row these things. They were huge, and the only practice I had was working on dories. So these things were huge, and there was about four of us, five of us in there, and we we're learning how to row. And we didn't quite get it at first. At first, the rhythm of it wasn't really going in there. They got all these cameras out and they're telling us, you guys got to get this down. You got to get this down. You, you know, come on. We got 10 minutes to do this. They were real nice, but they were like, we got to get it going. And I looked up and I said, oh, grandpa, you know, my, my grandfather was well. I said, can you help me with this? Because we got to get this down. And out of nowhere, we started rowing and everything was so synced, man. We were just rowing and rowing, practicing. So we got all the wheel boats. They put them on a, a rack in a trailer and it, we spent nine hours. We drove up to Lake Erie and they put us out in the middle of Lake Erie. You know, it was Rick Burns. Ken, if a lot of, you know, uh, Ken Burns, who does the civil war where well, he's got a brother, Rick Burns, Rick Burns did into the deep, which is, if you ever see it, this is, this is the DVD. If you ever get to see it, it's pretty cool. But, um, we, we learned how to, how to row and they put us in the middle of Lake Erie and we're, we're riding. Like we spent like three days filming this Lake Erie is an unbelievable place because when you go out there, we went on a, a, a ship that, that was once a, 
It was a replica revolutionary ship and they took us out and the water was so flat. And again, I love being on the bowsprit. So Rick came up, he was the most personal guy. He was so cool. He said, Russ, I heard you like being on the bowsprit. Why don't you go on the bowsprit? It was myself and um, Dana DeBarrels. I brought him along with me. As a matter of fact, I was trying to find somebody from New Bedford to come with me. And he was the one I could think of because him, him and I did Amistad years ago and he got a little scene yep. in Amistad. So I said, look, why don't you come with me to Connecticut? And, you know, he came, went up there, brought his wife with him. And we, we, we sailed around. Well, I sailed around. He didn't go in that scene, but we went out in the middle of the water. And let me tell you, Lake Erie just turned into this crazy ocean. There were huge waves just smacking up against the ship. There's, there's pictures of all of this stuff, but Mystic has it. And the minute I got in that whaleboat, I was like, this is so real, man. It's unbelievable. People were getting sick. I mean, the crew was sick. Um, uh, we got on one ship that was basically the base where everyone would go in two days, film another scene. And there were so many sick people on there. And I said, wow. And I, I was in the galley and I could smell, I could smell some chopped suey going on. And I felt my stomach go haywire. And I said, no, 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 no. You are not getting sick. Uh -huh. This is the biggest opportunity, man. You will, you're going to, boy, you're going to hold this down. And that's exactly what happened. I, I held it down. I went on deck and I was running around like a maniac. I don't know what happened. I just, you know, the ocean, I love the ocean. We, we just, we just attached and we went out, we did the scenes, um, rode around for three days, got real grubby and it was a blast. It was, it was, a, it was a great experience to do that. Sometimes when I look at the, the documentary and I look at, you know, whether it's myself or my other co-actors on there, I, I, I just, it, it's like going in a time tunnel and, and actually, and there was one point where we were, we were so far out that. The, there was a helicopter watching us and there was a coast guard watching us and all of a sudden the the radio system went down so it was 90 degrees and we're we're floating out now you imagine these whale boats that came, went out and it, you know they got out the outside of the the, the harbor here and they got in these uh -huh. big currents of water once you're in that that will pull you it's like a conveyor belt but if you get out of it you're in trouble so we were in these big conveyor belt of water and it was pulling the three whale boats along it was just pulling us along and we we're like what is going on here and i started uh -huh. laughing and then i said wait a minute this is serious it's 90 degrees and we're right out it's 500 feet of water <laughs> and lake Erie is like so clean because they had some kind of clam uh was dumped off out of the ballast of a ship so it, it clears the water it's like being in a giant pool and you can see you can see revolutionary ships like at the bottom of the of Lake Erie, you can see these wow. ships just sitting in the water. Some of them, they're, they're still they still got the uh, they're roped off. You can still see the mast, the, at least the poles sticking out of the water. So I was wow. thinking, this is unbelievable. And then and it was real funny because this guy, his name's Buddy Squire, and Buddy's one of the the the, the cinema photographers and directors. He's filmed Donna the Donner Party, everything, and him and I were you know we're just talking and when when on time off and he had this huge panasonic camera and i'm in the whaleboat and the whaleboat's going like this right and so he's on his speedboat and then he goes hey russ hold my camera for me right this thing's like this right and he's and he's like can you hold this for me and i'm thinking there's 500 feet of water there this is like two days of filming 
if I drop this camera, I'm going to have to swim down 500 feet and get it or else they're going to keep me home, right? And I can only go 30 feet was I learned from the South End of swimming down there, raft to raft, which we used to love to do. But um, that was such a blast. So that kind of, you know, led on to some big things. It it led on to me getting getting my um, my SAG card, which is a long story because what happens if you do certain things, you earn, you earn these things, which are called SAG cards. So what mm-hmm. they did was they ended up putting me what they call in the books. So they signed me up as professional actor. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's really good to belong, you know, to SAG because it, it shows that everything you've ever did, it just, it all comes together. But, um, I have to say it's 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 definitely a task, you know. It's, I've been invited to a lot of things. I've been invited to I was at American Hustler in um in Boston. I was Michael Peña, if you ever see Fury, you'll see a Latino actor and um uh, he was the he was the uh Sheik in in American Hustler and they and I played his understudy. But um long story short, I was there for about a day. I was they, <laughs> I was not going to end up staying there uh, another day, but um, that was an experience. I stayed there, and then I did uh, the um, the equalizer in Boston. I got definitely got credit for that, and should have actually been in the scene. But um, I did get my credit. They can't take it away from me. That was mm-hmm. that was another three days. I got to see Denzel, and he was definitely for real. The guy was he's as big as he is. You know, you see him on the screen, man, and you see him in person. It was in person. It was a blast seeing all these names. And then uh, there was also uh, a body of proof in in Rhode Island, where I play a, a police officer coming into a homicide scene with one of my favorite actresses, where her name is Sandra. She was from The Wire. In case some of you guys have ever seen The Wire, it was really cool to be on a set with with Sandra in. And I was I was playing police officer, which I I couldn't believe how much gear you guys you guys wear so much gear, man. It was mm-hmm. the belt and all the they put all the stuff on. I was thinking, well, how 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 do you walk around with all this stuff? And you know, and they they give you the thing to put on the side and all that, and they tell you, don't. We're gonna watch you. You do not do this with this, and you know they're very yeah. very 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 uh, serious about that and and cautious. But that was really a good time to hang out with uh, Dana Delaney. She was amazing. Dana Delaney was there and, you know, I got to talk to her and that was pretty much a uh, background for it. But the goal now is to try to get, you know, a speaking role, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I got to give props to my friend Earl because Earl is an amazing guy. He I just sure grabbed is. the speak. He grabbed the speaking role so fast, you know, you know, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not, um, how fast you go, you know, it's how smooth you are. <laughs> and yeah, Earl is Earl is smooth, man. He he knows he knows his thing and you know he grabs he he grabs some really lucky things and I'm so proud of him and you know Derek and a few other people were doing their stuff. But um, the um let me uh before I forget um you uh you just mentioned the wire and I had did something I did a little podcast on Anchor audio one um about the wire and um i was listening to jamel hill of unbothered and um she she would 
she bring it to my attention about the uh that the wire never received any of the you know TV awards you know they got different you know roles there was different people in different roles got nominated you know some other secondary um awards were given to them and the wire didn't get it as a, as a, as a program and I'm like are you kidding me that's the most realistic police series that I've seen in my whole life it's almost almost so accurate and and I don't know how these people didn't see it you know and 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 they were on for what 2002 to 2008 so I couldn't believe it after you know I did a little research on it after listening to her podcast and I was like wow she's actually she's 100% right and I mean she usually is and and I'm just like wow they never got nominated for an award yeah I mean, yeah and, I, and what you said about being realistic is it's so true because I I spent time in Baltimore I I lived in Baltimore for about a year and some and uh it was I definitely lived in the wire and I and I say that, and I and I want to be real careful about it because um, it's not the people. The people of Maryland, the people of Baltimore, are beautiful. Uh, if you look at what the how the structure was made after Reconstruction, the way they made the layout of the city. I mean, people are basically live from house to house. They live on top of each other. So you, you know, when you go in a neighborhood like that, and I remember one time I was dropped off in the middle of the night in Baltimore like at least 40 minutes away from where I lived and I had my baggage with me and I had to walk through a lot of the neighborhoods. And, you know, I'm going to tell you something, it was really, really tough. And I saw a lot of things, a lot of things in my neighborhood that really made me say, Whoa, man, this is for real. So, you know, you just, you just never know. I mean, what, what they're showing, you know, you can go one, one line over into another city and it's like totally a different place. Everything is treated differently. The houses, the houses are treated better or whatever, you know, they get more, more attention. And if you see, you see the, the folks that live in the neighborhood that just are going over to the local store, you know, and they got like one little variety store on the corner and you walk in there and, you know, someone treats you so bad when you get to the counter and you put a, gallon of milk there and someone tells you the gallon of milk is four dollars and, and that was back in 83 or something like that when i was mm-hmm. there and you know they treat you like you know, you're garbage like you know you don't you know mean and, and i really that really used to bother me because i said you know why are you why are you treating someone like that you know you're over here they go into your store they're, they're spending their money and you know there was a lot of times when you know we're very fortunate here i mean we're seeing what it's like to be behind plastic now, but in, in 82, 83, if you wanted to go and buy, like, let's say, you know, a sandwich, you'd go to a store and it would be plexiglass, all plexiglass. And you wouldn't, and at times you wouldn't even see someone's face. All of, all you'd see is like a, 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 a spindle turn and they hand you the money mm-hmm. and they, they throw the soup through there and, you know, practically throw it through a little hole and then you walk off. You know, there were pl- plenty of times I saw stuff like that or I saw, you know, all the things that can't even be mentioned. You no, know, it's, it's it's really tough. So, you know, yeah, you, you gotta, something has to change. And again, you can't look at you can't look at the people and say it's 
you know, oh wow, you know, it's East people, they're doing it, you know, they're doing it. It's it's not it's not fair because you know, you have a lot of wonderful, wonderful. I met so many wonderful people in Baltimore. As a matter of fact, one of my professors, he was uh Kwesi Kafumi, who was a, a congressman uh, down in DC. I met him, and if a lot of you don't know who Kwesi Kafumi is, he's the one that started Jamie Foxx. He's the one that started all the actors that you see. A lot of the actors that you see that went to the NAACP and stuff, they all started with Kwaisi. Kwaisi was my radio, he was my radio director at my college. And, you know, he, he, he was a pretty classy guy. And he came from a background where he was a little, he was sort of hanging out on the street. And another representative, a, a, a congressman walked up to him, a representative, and said to him, you know, get your act together, give me the gun and you know, and you better you better do something with your life. And that's exactly what he did. He he became very popular. And I remember just talking to him, you know, a few times. And you know, I know at times he looked at me and saw me with uh, grubby jeans on and you know, not always I didn't always have <laughs> the greatest clothes until I started going to Salvation Army and buying my uh buying my clothes at Salvation Army and uh, some of my college college roommates would say, you know, <laughs> why are you buying that why are you buying those clothes and then you know, when they saw me eyeing it up and put it on and walk around with it, they you, they started going over to the store. And yeah. Clothes. And I said, exactly. oh, 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 you guys were dogging me because of my clothes. But now you want my fancy suit jacket that mm-hmm. looks like 200 bucks, you know. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's how it was. You just so, somebody's do what you got to somebody, do. Somebody's junk is another person's treasure, you know, the uh Chops Turner says, my man, Russell Ramis is a living legend. He's been around the music business a long time. Chops. <laughs> we, Chops. He said, we go along. We Chops, go way Chops. back. Yeah. He let me, he let me sing once. Remember yeah, Chops? I, Chops let me sing once. He let me sing yeah. with him once. And then yeah. after that, it was, it was like out the door, Russ. See you later. So yeah. My, my yeah. singing career, career didn't get off the ground. <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't know what it is like you, you know you sounded like michael consatio he's always trying to sing you know oh, you man, guys I, need to leave that well, leave that stuff alone we got you, chops turner you, we got you, we got yeah. so many people in this city to sing for us we don't need nah. <laughs> you, know, you know i got, really love man i loved ryan tavaz man i loved him man every time he I rest saw in him, peace he, yeah. he went yeah yes he went back when they were kids i used to host uh, we hosted a food for home fundraiser at Buntwood Park, and him and his brothers, Brett and the rest of them, were singing. And you should have seen them, man. They were so good. They were singing, and I was hosting, and they allowed me to sing. But years later, when I would see Ryan, and I get a little clip of that on video, I'd say, Ryan, when are you gonna let me in the group? And uh-huh. Ryan would tr- Ryan would always try to run and hide. So I caught him one day with him and his wife, and was, I, I met her for the first time, and she was laughing her head off. She was like, Ryan, get away from this guy. Get away from this guy. Let's go. He's trying. He's trying to sing, man. I said, I want to. You guys won't let me sing. And I, I also I have a guitar. My wife, my wife doesn't like to let me play my guitar, which is baloney, man. I, I, I want to play my guitar all the time. I, I think I'm pretty good at it. Yeah, she, she's a but smart Charlie, woman. She's, she's a smart woman, not, man. Oh no, 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 no. Listen, you 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 married her for her beauty. You married her for her intelligence. You married. <laughs> You married it for money. Money too. I wanted to show you. I wanted to show you the book that when I was on the road for Into the Deep, I was making my own whale log. I got all kinds of money flowing out of here. Sure, this is my whale log. 
that I was making um, in this book. So as we went along and we stopped off on the roads to Lake Erie, I would make these pictures. This is from Mystic. Wow, there's a lot of stuff falling out of here. Uh, so this here, this was the uh, Mystic Seaport. And, and at Mystic, Mystic Seaport, at Mystic Seaport, um, yeah, you said that boat, already. Yeah, the whale boats are. You said Mystic Seaport like three times already. You know why? Because my wife was my wife interrupted me. I'm sorry. She left a note over here and she said I'm banned from playing the guitar. See? Oh, all right. I had, see? She's like slipping me a note to t- stop talking about my guitar. So, anyways, hey, we can. You're gonna say Mystic Seaport again? No, this is all right. <laughs> this is a picture off the road on uh, way up in Lake Erie was a little barn there. That's I, I drew that picture. This is the trailer that we brought the uh the whale boats on. Again, those were real whale boats and they were on the trailer. So we had to take them up to uh up to Lake Erie. Another that movie scene in front of the uh, downtown on Purchase Street, in front of the old Cherry and Webb. What movie was that from? Well, that was uh, Red Feather Productions. That was with Calvin Grace, who's an amazing, amazing young director. He went to school, and uh, he asked me if I wanted to play a scene where you know we're sitting outside at this table and we're kind of like corrupt and we're planning all these different things and. We we spent probably fifteen minutes, uh, myself and the guy that was there. I forget his name, but we improvised that. We he told he gave us the scenario, which I love. I don't always like to go by you know every word to word script. It to me that doesn't always work. He just said, "Look, here's the scenario, you guys," and it just clicked. Him and I just clicked. It just went, and we started we started talking, and we got that scene down. But um, you know that was really that was really a good scene. I enjoyed that, and it was a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Dave Consacio says, "Charlie, I don't know if Russell knows, but he is definitely someone who a lot of us look up to growing up." It's so true, you know. And then you guys, yeah. Well, they it's the young people. They're the ones that that you know. You guys helped me, man. You know. I, I just wanted to, I always want to just try to do my best and, you know, walk, walk a, a, a good way so that, you know, we're not out there. I mean, we, as teenager, yeah, man, we, we ran around, we saw a lot of stuff and especially, we, you know, for a lot of you who don't know, I lived right off of Kempton street where I lived right on Newton street. And I saw a lot of stuff in the sixties and seventies. I smelt a lot of smoke. I saw a lot of things go on. You know, when we had stuff going on in the city, I was right there as a kid. And I remember having the, you know, going to camp and we have, we'd have to get on the bus floor. We couldn't sit in the seats. You know, we had, we have to, because of everything going on, you had all these people standing on porches with weapons and, you know, it was just nuts. And as a kid, we went to Camp Kennedy, but we'd have to lay on the floor while the bus went through the city, you know, as, as we left the area. But you know, we I lived right, right right there, so I could go around the corner. I could hear the things going on. I could smell the smoke, 
And to be honest with you, when everything started happening recently, you know, in, in the city, as an older person, I was getting a little bit disturbed by it because it was kind of taking me back. I remember the noise. I remember the, you know, the, everybody, the yelling, the screaming, all that stuff. I always try to, you know, keep a quiet, peaceful life because in the back of it, and you know, a lot of us, you know, that would, as, as young people, that was traumatizing, man. We went through all of that. We saw it. You know, we, we saw it and you don't, you don't want to ever see that again. Everybody has to, you know, come to some peaceful way. We didn't, you know, years ago when, when things happened, you know, people would try to talk to each other or whatever, you know, not, not use some kind of, you know, force in things. It's just, you know, it's, it's terrible. And it's like, I told you my experience, um, I, I did the radio. I remember working at, at the, you know, the local housing, housing, um, area with, as a security guard. And I remember the first time I ever got that job, I was in college and I said, ah, I don't know if I should take this job. They want us to put this uniform on and, you know, they try to give us a club. And I said, no, this is, I live in this community. I don't need stuff like that. I just, you know, I'm going to walk around and I'm going to talk to people. And I just remember, you know, a real sad, sad situation where someone was walking by with the music, the music was, was on and, you know, one of the one of the squad cars came by. Somebody got mad at this kid, and you know they they chased after him. They they put him on the ground, and you know the guy one of the guys was almost choking him. And I I ran to the corner near Chancery and Kempton Street, and and basically had to put my arm, put my hand on this guy's arm, and tell him to quit it. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna hurt him. And it was a guy was just foaming from his mouth. And I said, man, what you're doing is wrong. And, uh, you know, the next day, you know, it was like, you know, what did you, what did you do that for? You could have, that could have been very, that could have been a bad situation, a really bad situation. But, um, you know, we're lucky these days that, you know, things have changed. A lot of people don't realize what we have now is different from what we had in the past. In the past, we had a lot of people running around with football helmets and, you know, things in their pocket and, you know, they, they, they weren't from the community. We never saw them, you know, and, you know, yeah. it was kind of, it was kind of threatening. Not only that, you know, it was just all over the place. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, things definitely change, but there's still a whole lot of more, there's a whole lot more room for progress, you know, and, um, I still got to get better. And I, I've been noticing a lot of posts on, you know, social media, especially Facebook and, and people just trying to, you know, preach and, and say, you know, stay positive, be positive, continue to be positive. And, um, you know, we, we need that. We need that around here. Um, I think that one of the things that always, you know, helps out this community when it comes to unity is, um, is sports in itself. And, um, when, when we have, successful programs and successful teams. Um, the, the, the community gets unified because now they have kids playing on the same team as a abundance of people going to the different games. And so I can't wait until all these restrictions are kind of lifted. Yeah. So we can see a lot of this talent on the court, on the fields, um, doing their thing, you know, and, uh, and get us back, you know, unified and, uh, and save it some civic pride. I love my city. I love it. I love it. 
the um why don't we um let's talk about a few other things you know um you you comfortable talking about the story about the statue in front of uh, your workplace you want to talk about that well i, I mean it, you, you you know the statue of the whale the whaling uh thing was supposed to be um a Cape Verdean guy and he decided to carve it into someone else. I mean, it's obvious, that is, that is a definite, you know, thing that occurred um, with all of the whalers that were out there, you know, you have to look at, you know, whether native Indians, they were definitely the ones that were the top line of people being paid for whaling. It got to the point where King, King Phillips or, was so upset that some of them were getting paid so much that he tried to cut it off. For them, they were the ones that were the were the main whalers. You know, they were off of Nantucket. The stuff that was going off in Nantucket was all learned learned by the folks that that went there. Settlers learned that from the natives. They're the ones that 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 were doing that offshore. You know, and and, and it's funny because when we, when I was in the scene for the Into the Deep, we were getting ready to get in. You know, they were getting to put getting ready to put people into the whale boats, and they weren't putting us in the whale boats at first. And the scene had to get stopped. And someone said, "Wait a minute." You know, we have a problem here. You got to put these guys in the whale boat because they they represent the pictures in the books. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's that's the true history. So you got to put the the real the real people who were in the boats that were doing whatever they would they were doing. It's very important. And um, you know, I I think in a lot of parts, instead of wasting and waiting waiting for somebody else to make a statue for you, you should be making our own statues. You get all this talent out there. You do. We do have people that know how to make make statues. Just make the statue yourself, and you know, make it in whatever. As long as it's 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 a positive one. I don't want to see statues up that don't have any kind of you know positive reflection of of what people are about. I I don't care for those statues. You know, there's a couple of them, particular ones like that, that don't belong. But that way, you know, the the, in itself. the other. You know, on the other side of the building, we have, um, you know, the temple statue. And um, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the temple toggle um, was his. He made it. You know, it's named after him. Um, but he didn't receive. Uh, he didn't receive too much restitution or, or, or money for it. Um, and actually later on got... um you know, taken from him and people don't realize that here we are as a community that we, you know, how famous he is and how um, essential he was to the whaling community, whaling industry. And uh, dude got ripped off, man, got ripped off like a 1960s, uh, you know, R&B group, you know, Mm -hmm. just took his stuff. The, um, so a lot of history on that front lawn. Um, I, I, um, I have a picture somewhere and I can't find it. And in that, within that block outside the main library mm-hmm. is, um, there was, a there's a heavyweight boxing fight. And on the top of the old standard times building was a speaker, huge, huge speaker. And what they did is they broadcast the radio, um, they broadcast radio, the radio from the top of the building. 
um, and what what was going on. It was a heavyweight fight with uh, uh, names. It was a German guy, the big German heavyweight fighter, and it was a huge fight. So from from Union Street all the way down Pleasant, mm-hmm. all across, you know, down uh, was it Market Street? Um, and it goes deep, deep, almost like. 20 pe- 20 rows deep, you know, full of people listening and standing out there like it was a pay-per-view fight. And they were just sit- sitting there listening to the radio, screaming and hollering. There's no video footage of it, but the article kind of explains it. And um, so New Bedford is definitely um, is rich in history, as we all know, man. And um, But that one particular block where you work at, the history is just... If if only you know the bricks and the cement and and the grass and all that could talk and tell the stories and tell the people tell the stories about the people that were on that that front lawn. And so that's right. Thanks, Devin Max. It was uh, Max Burr's fight and um tremendous fight. Um, I forget the numbers, but it was huge. And I gotta find that picture so I can post it for everyone because it's um iconic picture. Yeah. So. The um, so um, I remember a few years back we talked about uh, uh, was it PD Life and a close friend of yours, mm-hmm. um, and perhaps coming that production crew coming to the city of New Bedford and um, they put a kibosh on it. And every time I look at that program and I see it, and I'm like, wow. You know, there could have been footage of New Bedford, you know, and 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 people, politics, politicians getting away and stop things like that. It's amazing that um, you know, we talked about how that that you know the gentleman, what's his name again, Russ? If you can help Tom, me, Tom Morris. Tom Morris. Tom, you know, Tom Morris is his name. He 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 actually um. Is connected through the city through someone who you know he's in a relationship with. So um, by chance, he just happened to be in the city one day years ago, and I happened to have my equipment up uh, filming filming a uh, there was some uh, entertainment show down the vets, and I was filming, and he said to me, "Do you do you have um, is this your equipment? Would you like would you like to do a segment?" And they basically hired me and I went out and I did a segment, which was right, right here in the city. It was basically about, you know, the, the murder of someone. And, you know, they, I got the equipment. I was able to go out and film and travel around with him and you know, do all kinds of, he's a, he's a fantastic person who really cares about, uh, cares about this city. He's, you know, connected in deep Washington, DC and I knew him actually because he he act he came to one of my productions when I was in school years ago in Maryland. He came to one of my theater productions and saw me perform. So he knew me from from Washington and Baltimore, and you know, so there was definitely a connection. So you get to you get to see people that you know you you see them all of a sudden, and, you know, they're in your city or you're in, you know vice versa. You run into somebody, and that's how it happens sometimes. You know, you're pretty lucky that you get that opportunity, but that was definitely 
an opportunity for me. I wasn't always, um, for me, for me, the filming stuff is good, but you know, there's some things I would be kind of objective to, you know, that, I, that, that wouldn't work for me, but you know, you, years ago, you put a camera in my hands. I used to chase stories. Um, I worked, I, I did a lot of internships with the news stations. Uh, they, you know, they give you, put a camera in your hand and you run out, you chase an accident, you chase a fire, you do it. You do all those things to get the story. I take the story, get in my car, run it back to uh, Rhode Island, go into the editing room, give, give the editor the story. And he put the story together and, you know, that was it. And back then it wasn't really a lot of money. It was like, maybe I think I, I'd get about $60, $80 a story. So if I saw the story, I just, you know, I always had my camera in my car. So back then it was this big kind of show. I <laughs> showed a <laughs> Panasonic camera you run around with and, you know, you film something and then you take the tape and drop it off. And yeah, I leave I mean, it. That's, that's how it was. You call it a freelancer, but sometimes when you tell somebody you're a freelancer, they kind of get that, they get that confused and they think they call you up and say, can you come film this? <laughs> and I say, no, man, how much is it going to cost? You know, they think, uh-huh. they think that just picking up the camera is, you know, they'll pay the DJ before they pay the camera person at a wedding. And I always say, man, you better, you better pay that videographer because that videographer standing around filming and filming. I don't know how many weddings I used to do. I did so many weddings from, from out of high school. I, I did weddings. I didn't charge a lot. And and one thing I used to do is stay there all night long. I wouldn't leave, you know, after the wedding. I'd stay the whole reception. And I mainly worked, I worked by myself until I started working at a Charlton hospital. I worked, I worked with um, uh, a, a gentleman named Paul Martin, who was, who had a, a production company at Charlton hospital. We, we made videos for doctors. So we went around and we, we did promo videos for doctors and um, I don't know, we went to a lot of a lot of doctors' houses, talked to their families, asked them, you know, how did he feel being a doctor? So and then and then Paul Martin himself, who was the Spielberg of Fall River, made a documentary called um um what was it called? I'll think of it in a minute, but he made he made a documentary on domestic violence, which won won an award at Salve Regina College. Hmm. So, you know, it was you know, always, I remember back then just being always out running around with the camera in the hands and, you know, chasing stories. If it wasn't doing that, it was doing radio or working with, working with some of the song groups, which we did have out of the city, which is very, very important. It was called, um, It, it was someone's put here. I was one who represented the uh, idea HQ and squash. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep, yep. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I hear you, Robert, definitely. Yeah, but it was there was um a group called Crush, which a lot of people don't know the story of that. But when you hear of new kids on the block, I want you to think of the group called Crushed, and they went to Boston, worked with Maury Star. Maury Star picked up uh one of my one of my uh performance, Scott Ross. There was Hector Barrels. Hector Barrels, Scott Ross became the dancers for Maki Mark and the Funky Bunch. And um, I was their manager and basically, uh, you know, dealt with a lot of different things involved in that. Um, they, they had a guy named Tony Rose 
Tony Rose was a big producer, Greg McPherson. These guys were producing New Kids on the Block. They wanted to produce Crush, which was a big group out of New Bedford. They were they were actually sponsored by the city of New Bedford. They got a grant. You had you had uh Lorraine Elaine at um she had a shop in downtown New Bedford, New Bedford who made their costumes. They won they won so many different talent shows. They were really being they were going to be signed up by MCA Records, but unfortunately, you know, something happened in the, you know, the contract. It didn't go off. So the only ones that survived was Hector Barrows and Scott Ross, who became big names. If some of you know them, they did Maki Mock and the Funky Bunch, and you know, they did real well. So they, they did a whole bunch of stuff out there, whole bunch yeah, of it's, stuff. Um, it's one Thank of, you. And someone said Larry Wool. Yeah, we won't. Man, we won't forget Larry Wu. Thank you for saying that name. I, I hung out with a lot of these guys. I was up in Boston at Newberry Sound Studio. You know, I, I I was going to what you call real studios back then. You know, real studios like the ones you see in Motown, man. These things had, they had the microphones. I remember going to one in Boston with Greg McPherson, who was an amazing guy. Greg McPherson, um, he he was a he 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 played all the, he arranged all the music for new kids on the block. He did all stuff. We had an opportunity to hang out with him. And by the way, I did have a, um, a, a guitar uh, piece on my, on my phone back in the day, Greg listened to, and he said, Russ, he said, that was, that was great. So if I, yeah. if, if Greg, if Greg said that, I'm listening to what my wife says because Greg yeah. said that Russ could play the guitar. Yeah, yeah well, I, I love that. And I did buy I bought a, a Randy Jackson guitar on um on HSN and um what what's his name was on there? Yeah, Randy. Well Randy was on there and Randy Randy said that when I bought his guitar, he said, Russ, I know you're gonna do this. So Randy said that I could I could end up playing a song for him one day when I when I learned. So I'm still trying to learn the song like four years later. I just can't seem to get my hands on the guitar because my wife's hiding it. Where did you put it? She's not gonna tell me where she put my guitar. Uh, I I know where it is. I'm not you telling you either. Oh, yeah, okay, I, good. Yeah, give me some money, you know. I'll give you some money. Yeah, then we'll talk about it. You know, the uh, when you see different things in the city popping up, you know, they, you know they've been in existence for a few years now, but uh, different theaters and. Um, a lot of people get involved in it. Um, I, I really want to kind of give credit to the city. I believe it's whale and what they did with the uh, first Baptist church on William and, and sixth, right. you know, and hopefully that, um, you know, that should be something, an added, you know, attraction to the area, you know, gallery X, we can't forget them. Your theater. Um, yeah. It's just, it's great. And, and the kids need, you know, uh, people, let me just say people, people need those venues to kind of help them out, you know, and especially if they're inspiring actors, um, you know, they're usually just getting it from drama, drama club at school and stuff like that. But it would be nice to have another venue kind of do something else a little bit yeah. different. Yeah, and I, I want to say what's in, what's important when it comes to the acting is I've been involved in the um, uh, reenactments. I've done a lot of reenactments. I've been to, and, and, and what happens is we have what's called cemetery tours. And basically we take on 
uh, different people who, you know, have been gone for years. I've played um, uh, Sergeant Connie. I went to his his grave. I got to portray him. I've played uh, uh, James Reed, who was a photographer who actually was had a had a location in downtown New Bedford. I I I researched him. I did uh, a Civil War reenactor. Um, uh, his name is Charles. I can't think of the last name at the moment, but he was he was in a lot of he was in a battle. Um, you know, the same one you see Glory with uh, Denzel Washington. He was down there at the fort, and uh, I got to portray him. He was actually injured in it. And, and, and you know, the strange thing about it is the day that I was performing him, I was sitting in, in a chair on a chair next to his grave, and I was on my phone just, you know, just searching, looking at, looking up history of Civil War, and I found that someone at the moment that I was reenacting him, someone was auctioning off his medal for six thousand dollars, and it kind of broke my heart that, you know, he, I'm, I'm reenacting him at that moment, and someone's someone selling his medal, and I, wow. I, I kind of looked at his grave, which is a really small stone, and I said, you know what, sir, I'm just gonna try to portray you the best that I could, and you know, just something just came over me when, and, and for those of you don't understand, don't 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 know about the cemetery tours. What it is, is people come to the cemetery, you're at a location, they come up to you, you're in character, you perform who that person was, which is really, really amazing practice. If you want to do some acting, you get to study the person, you're in character, you don't want to get out of character. And um, I've performed, I've done Sajid Connie, I've done uh, Daddy Grace, which I did in a very respectful way. Um, I really wanted to show him, I went, I went to his mausoleum. You know, up the north end, I studied him. There's a book about him, and I again wanted to do it in a respectful way. So, I I searched and I searched for, you know, the way he spoke, you know, and he was from Caverd Brava and places. And so when he spoke to people in North Carolina, and sometimes the way he would speak, they actually thought he was speaking in tongues, you know, because he spoke real fast. He spoke like this, like we used to speak like, you know, like when we used to listen to our grandparents. You know, a long time mm-hmm. ago, he spoke like this really fast. So, you know, at times maybe they thought that's what he was doing. But um, in the piece that I did, um, I did it in a respectful way. I enjoyed doing it. Um, I did him. I did some other Civil War characters. Um, and there's there's so much information on Civil War soldiers that, that are in our city. You would not believe the reels and reels of people that went and did this. And they're, they're there. You can research it and find out who they are. So, you know, I'm excited about that. What I really would like to do is more reenactment. I mean, I, I like, I, I don't mind doing the, um, you know, the acting, whether it's commercial stuff, but I'd love to work more for PBS. I love PBS. Anything to do with PBS, I want I want to work with GBH. They, they treat you like gold. They treated us so good. You know, when you put, when you do that, and I'm not trying to make a pitch, for you know, oh, support PBS and give them money. I'm saying they treat the actors so great. You know, they the, Rick Burns. Rick Burns was an incredible, incredible director. I, I went out with him in the morning, personally. Him and his um, uh, other the other director name is Barney, and um, I went out with them in the morning and they sat with me and they talked to me. They wanted to know what my what my grandfather was about. They they really spent time in New Bedford. They wanted to know what whaling was all about. And as, and as a matter of fact, the 
production that we had won, won a couple of awards. Um, you had Ron Howard who came to New Bedford. He did his film on on whaling, and and if you check IMBD, the uh, the whaling piece that they did got a I think they got like a six point five, and we got an eight. I think we're like eight point two or eight point five or something like that. Our documentary wow. really got a lot of props, and the reason it got a lot of props is because Rick Burns spent a lot of time in New Bedford. He went to the whaling museum. He talked to you know, our community. He talked to people whose grandparents were whalers. I watched him and he really, really cared about it. So when we went out and we did this stuff, you know, there was, he would stop a film and he would just come up to you and say, what do you think, what do you think would have been said? You know, the only thing I, you know, I wish I had been able to do is speak, speak Creole, which, you know, if, if I did, they would have used it in the film. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, when I was a kid and I lived in Connecticut it was way back in the sixties when I was a little kid, I went to school and I could, I could speak Creole. I was being taught that in the house all the time, but it was a, a very confusing thing for the, for people in the sixties. When I went to school, I was called in by the you know teacher would pull me aside. She called my parents in. She'd say, Oh, you know, got to call your parents in because you have a speech speech problem. They pulled my father aside and said, you know, he can't, he's having a problem with his speech. He's saying something. So my father said, well, what did he say? And he, you know, so they gave him the, the story I wrote and said, he put it in his computer, you know, and my father said, well, he put it, he, mean, he means bureau. He doesn't know what a bureau is, right? Uh-huh. So I was crossing words so much that you got to understand when it comes to languages, you know, uh, subject, verb, and object, some things are flipped around in other languages. So uh-huh. it's, flipped ar- it's flipped around. Like, for example, I'll give you an example. If, when I was in Miami years ago, when you the sign in the bus says instead of wait for the light to turn green, it's it's green light then proceed. See, yep. so when you when 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 you start getting that to happen, it gets confusing. So the teacher told my father, you know, my father said, no, he doesn't have a speech problem right now. When he goes home, so when I went home, my parents would say, no, you're not learning this. You know, they say they say shambai shambai go go off somewhere. We don't want you to learn this because you're going to go to school and you're going to get confused. So, you know, what they do with some kids like that is they put you aside. I don't know how many times in school that, you know, teachers couldn't deal with it. So they're like, Oh, you know, go off. This is why I became a good artist because the teacher would say, go sit and sit in the corner and, you know, make a, make a, a a mural for us or draw or do something. Mm -hmm. Not knowing that, not knowing that my father was a, you know, a graphics artist, my father, very educated person, you know, he went to the Marines and then he came to New Bedford and went to Swain school and, and they laughed at him and they said in the factories where he used to work, Oh, you're not going to, what are you going to become an artist? You could, you know, you're not going to be a Da Vinci or something like that. And my father said, no, I'm going to become an artist. And then the Navy hired him and we moved out of New Bedford and went to Connecticut and that, and he worked with some very high, you know, top people. My father worked, you know, in an, he had, he had an office, just like you see the hidden figures. My father worked with some, you know, top notch people, people in the submarine business. You know, we, we, we lived around submarines. We lived, when I was a kid, we were always around that environment. The weekends we had were family day on the submarines. You know, that's just like they had whale ships years ago. People went out and saw whale ships. We saw we saw that stuff, submarines and everything else. Awesome. We, um, I like to, uh, 
um, I, I was trying to, uh, get things together with a future podcast and, um, and it just didn't fall through. It did just didn't come to come through. So what I'd like to do is, um, eventually with you, if you don't mind, is one of our, our listeners, um, way back when it, he wanted to know the relationship between Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tudman to New Bedford. And I really wanted to kind of bring that out. And I'd like to kind of do it, maybe a co-host thing with you and I, and try to bring that out and get, gather some facts together where we can kind of, you know, put it to video and basically just talk about different things that we find and get that, uh, that material out there. And the only reason why I'm saying that is because we, sometimes the city does focus on, you know, a lot of things and different famous people. Um, when we have, uh, you know, eventually Harriet Tubman will be on a $20 bill. You know, I want to bring that history out, you know, and her ties to the city. Um, so you and I, let's talk about it, man. Let's bring that out. You know, let's continue to bring that material out. And um, so if you're down with it, I'm down with it. Yeah. It's, a, it's about right. history. I think it's important, you know, young people that, you know, when we are kids in school, we didn't have these kind of things put forward to us. So, you know, all the things that we saw, we just basically – you know, saw in a way that it was a different history. And later when we started learning it and knowing that we can be proud of how we look or, you know, uh, or how we talk or whatever we do, we don't need anyone to give us, you know, all these, you know, pats on the back. I know, you know, I know what, I know what we've done. So we know where we've been, you know, where we want to go. We want to try to make things good. And I always say for young people, if you want, if you want to do something, just become more self-studied. And I don't, when I say self-studied, I don't mean go to school and disrespect your teacher and say, you know, I'm not going to listen to what you say because I'm smarter than you. Cause I went to the library and I learned how to, I, I know what the answer is. I'm saying become more self-studied, you know, learn, learn things more on your own, you know, try to read more, try to write more. Um, I wasn't always, and I want to make this clear to you. I wasn't always supposed to do all these things. I was in a situation where, where when I was in school, I wasn't always the greatest student. My thing was just passing enough to play sports. I played football. I actually made it when I was in junior high school. I used to love to do the gymnastics. I used to, I remember, uh, what was the, the teacher's name at uh, Keith Junior High School? Um, he was a great, Arugio. great coach. Mr. Rujo, he Arugio. taught me how to do the horse. I used to fly in the air and spin and, and by the time I got to the high school, I met Mr. Medeiros, who Mr. Medeiros saw, saw my talent, and he said, you know, you could probably do the horse. So I started training with him on how to do the rings. I was doing the horse. I was really getting good at it, getting to the point where I was so good at it that he was going to – he was talking about you could possibly go to Connecticut and learn how to do this for possible maybe Olympics one day. You know, maybe you could go to the Olympics. And I was so excited about that. I remember him standing on his hands and I thought that was so incredible. Or he'd go in the pool. He taught us how to dive and how to hold our breath. And, you know, my father being a diver and scuba diver, 
you know, I always wanted to do that kind of thing. So, so unfortunately, what happened one one time, and I'll make the story short, is um, I was I, I I made the football the sophomore football team. I was a wide receiver. I was in there with Kenny Johnson. Matter of fact, we were the only we were the only wide receivers in soft uh, sophomore football. Kenny had the speed. He could run. He could run like a deer. And for me, I could if you send me out on a pass. I could catch anything with my eyes closed behind my back or whatever. We played a lot of pock ball. So we knew all that stuff. That was secondhand. Now it's something we knew we could do. But unfortunately, one day I, I, had, I came up with a back problem and it was called scoliosis. So my back started giving me problems and my doctor told me, you know, don't play contact sports anymore. I said, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, I want to, uh-huh. I'm an athlete. I want to play. So he, I said, well, what about swimming, you know? And he said, well, if you want to go try for swimming, and there weren't too many people who looked like me on a swimming team, but I said, I'm going to go try it. So I jumped in the pool and I tried out and I made it. And third week into the practice, and I was swimming like a maniac, third week into the practice, um, you know, unfortunately I got, I, I was throwing a Frisbee around warming up and my back got stuck. So they took me to St. Luke's and they told me I had... A, a muscle spasm and I said wait a minute so they stretched me out you imagine two people pressing you out mm-hmm. I went home and I folded right back up so my mother shipped me out to Boston and to come to find out on an x-ray the back was curving drastically so what they wow. did was they hooked me up with Dr. Pappas who was the Patriots was the Patriots doctor I got the best doctor in the world because he took outpatients so they gave me Dr. Pappas and Dr. Pappas said look We've got to do the surgery on you. Oh, you're going to die because your back is crushing all your organs. I was like, you got to be kidding me. So I ended up in Children's Hospital, which was a beautiful. I love Children's Hospital. They were so great to me. I was age 18. I had the surgery and uh, in a body cast for six months. And then 15 years of healing with a titanium, eight inch titanium pin in my back. Now, I mentioned that I say this to you without any hesitation. I mean, it's nothing personal. I tell everybody about it. Uh, I've pushed all these years. Some people saw me do some things years later where I ran. I was a jogger. I ran for miles. You know, I never let that bother me. I ran and ran and ran. And they would say, how do you do that? I ran with a pin in my back. You know, a lot of people didn't know that. If I went and I filmed something and I got a great shot and I was at your wedding and you saw me kneeling back and the start and the shot was so steady and you said, wow, he has such a steady shot is because I didn't need a tripod. I had an eight inch pin in my back, which would give me a, a really stiff shot. So, you know, I had that opportunity. And then, you know, down the line, I never said anything about it. But I mean, I, I worked in places like Hosneck Beach. I mean, I had to walk around and dig out trenches. I never told anybody that, you know, that that this was going on. I figured I had to live like this. So I never complained. So yeah. years later, leaving the state. I had another job. I worked. I I worked in the uh, juvenile boot camp where I lived for five months. I had to pass a state troopers exam, you know, physical exam. I had to run two miles in twelve minutes. I had to run a wolf run. I had to do three hundred push-ups in so much time. I do. I had to do all these things, and I did it in the condition that I was in. So what, sometimes what makes me not angry, it makes me mad, is when people say they can't do something, or they're saying. You know, I'm I'm 61 years old now. And when people tell me, oh, I can't do it or that, you know, I'm not going to do it. You, you know, you got to do what you have to do. 
when I was when I was riding that bike up the north end, you know, to go make sandwiches at D'Angelo's, you know, I wasn't I wasn't hesitating to stand in and make sandwiches. I wasn't the greatest. I didn't I didn't you know, I wasn't the greatest cashier, but I knew how to make a sandwich. Whatever I have to do, I was going to do it. If it's if it's in a good way, you know, you got to do it without complaints. I have to get up every morning and, you know, and I have to deal. I have to deal with that. You know, I have to I have to deal with it. There's nothing. There's no escaping it. You know, you just have to keep pushing. And that's what we have to do. We have to teach. We have to teach our young people. If I had one arm and and, and, and respectfully, because we know that people do this. I used to work with people with disabilities and I saw them push and push and push, you know, and, and that's what we have to do. If you want to say anything to to our people, if you want to say anything to young people, don't ever, ever, ever give up, you know, keep pushing. When people tell you stuff like you can't do it. And I learned, I had, I had great teachers, you know, I had uh, the Frank Slaughters or, or the O'Berry brothers, you know, the O'Berry brothers were our counselors over at Hathaway school. And they were counselors when all this craziness was going on back in the day, they were friends of ours. They didn't, they never turned our back on us. They took us to Frisbee contests. They played basketball with us. You know, they were there. All their brothers were always there. And I want to mention them because, you know, great and, family. And, and, great, know, great I, family. You know, my, my great cousin, Roland, Roland Logan, man, the guy was in the Coast Guard. He was a great athlete, great, great, great person in my life, you know, who taught me how to keep keep pushing. What an athlete he was. He was an athlete in all, all different areas. So, and again, I'll emphasize the boys club, which taught us so many things. And I also want to make mention uh, uh, to this, that, 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 it was, basketball wasn't always the only sport. We were taught by a guy named Chet, who was from Canada, how to play hockey. He taught a bunch of kids in the neighborhood, you know, all, all these kids, all these minority kids, he used to, we used to go in and he taught us how to play hockey at, at, at such a good, good level. And we were going out and we were beating kids in the neighborhood. We'd go out and have these pickup games and, and we would win. Because there was no difference between, you know, a flick of a wrist in a in a flick of a, a hockey stick. And we were so good at it, they took us over to the ice rink. And when we went in the ice rink, we were a bunch of poor kids. We didn't have uh we didn't have the right gear. So they saw us skating around and they saw how good we were. And they they basically said, You guys can't come back until you get the get the professional gear. And they knew that the that a lot of us couldn't afford that gear. We we're like the bad news ducks. But we could beat any kid. So these hockey, these big shot hockey companies, these big shot Bruins and whoever it is, man, let's start getting some diversity in there. Let's start getting the faces in there. Because I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of people that can play and it shouldn't be just, you know, exclusive. You know, it should be that everyone gets to play the game. It's just like boxing or it's wrestling or anything else. Or like me, you see me now, I, 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 I'm I a big Formula One race car driver fan right now. Uh, uh, um, Lewis, Lewis right now is. What do, you, what do you mean right now? You've been a, you've been a fan. I, I've been a, a fan. Of- I've been a fan. Well, you laughed at me one day when you said you thought I was, you said, oh man, those cars, they just keep going around in a circle, going around in a circle. And I said, what's Charlie talking about? I'm talking about Formula One racing. Uh, Han- uh, Lewis Hamilton right now is a big, 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 big guy. I mean, he, he lives in UK, but you know he's just changing the sport. 
what we need to do is we need to open the doors. And I want to see a lot of women. I'd love to see women in the sport of Formula One racing. I want to see more women racing, you know, you know, they, I'm sure, you know, women are powerful. They can do all these things and we're not giving them a chance to do it. You know, let's start, let's start getting them in, involved in the sport of, of racing. I want to see them do that. You know, exactly. what's going on? Come on. It's like 200 years later, you know, and, you know, we're, we're still walking around. And again, the problem is, is that we just sit around and wait because we're like, well, let's wait until we get in. Let's just make our own hockey teams or, or do whatever. If you can't do it, we used to do this when, we, when we had the football, when we had the footballs years ago, and you had the vets football or you had this football or that football. And by the way, and I say that in a way that, that we had a football team called the Barristers and they were kids from all walks of life. And that guy up in, uh, uh, on Rockdale Avenue, Andy had the diner, uh, and it's no longer open. He's the one that really gets the credit. And if you want to talk about, um, you know, New England Patriots and everybody's like, no, New England Patriots, you know, it's such a, this great, this great team. It started in New Bedford. It started at, at Buntwood. It started at, uh, Buntwood Park. It was a, a, a team called the Barristers. They were put together from all kids from all different backgrounds and they went all over Rhode Island. They played college teams. They were like a semi-pro team and they were beaten. And as a matter of fact, my brother was on one of the teams, Buddy. You had Benjamin Burns, Roland, Roland Logan. You had uh, Stevie, is it Steven Soares? Kenny Soares. Kenny Soares was the quarterback. If you ever want to say he's the first, he was the first. Let me tell you something. These guys were something. And Andy, Andy was the guy that that paid for the for the for the jerseys for these kids to wear. So he he backed them up. He came in one day and saw them on the field and said, "Why don't these kids have uniforms?" He said he's going to back them up. Paid for their uh, equipment. And too bad, unfortunately, that I was injured. I I would have played myself because I'm sure I would have made some touchdowns. I know you shared so some story. You shared some good stories about your brother and and type of football player he was, and um, you know, uh, a lot of those guys that you mentioned. Oh, they have you, no idea. They have no idea. My brother. My brother was like Mike Tyson running on a football field. First time I ever went to see my brother play football, I couldn't believe it. I said, "This guy, how can he play football? He's you know, he's he's not this. He was kind of round and." And all of a sudden I heard the ground move and I heard this bump, 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 go by. And I looked out and this guy went flying. He used to knock people all over the place. And, and, and if you don't know Joe Goodine, and I think he's a pastor now, go see Joe Goodine. There was no one better as a better football player than Joe Goodine, Roland Logan. Roland used to go to practice and wear his helmet on where everybody else was. It was hot as heck and he's running around with his helmet on, you know, uh, Joe Goodine used to used to run on the line, and he had this thing where he used to shift. He used to shift his body. If you try to grab him, he could shift himself, so you couldn't even grab him. So he'd run right on the line. He'd run right on the line, and we watched all this stuff. We saw it for ourselves. Guy named Brunel. If you don't know who Brunel is, um, all these the names. We went to we went to Providence one time, and we played the Godfathers, which was an all black team, and they saw the team from New Bedford come along and they were just blown away. They couldn't believe the diversity of this team. They said, these guys, they were the first, the first Patriot team before Patriots. They were, they were the first, the first team that was, that was amazing. So, you know, a lot of people don't know this stuff. I'll tell you right now, that's, that's the truth. 
great story. The um, you know that that's what I try to bring out out of this podcast, and 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 is this you know we came on here we were going to talk about acting and behind the scenes and so on and so forth, but I always leave it open, let it have, let the let the discussion roll, let the discussion go where it may, you know, and um, you know, thank you, thank you for uh, enlightening us about a lot of things, especially with Willie Pierce and his story and so we can work on that and try to do something for that man um because i i know he's what probably 55 years old maybe you know so yeah we gotta do that uh, yeah so the um you know russell we got to continue to do things i want you to come on this podcast um anytime that you wish we can do a co-hosting. We can interview someone, do it together. Um, whatever you you have a brainstorm, you bring it up to me, and we'll, we'll make it happen. And uh, I really want to um, say thank you, thank you for all this. And just want to leave you with you know you can close this up with any story that you possibly have. Well, no, I just want to thank you for just having me come on because you used to support me when. Uh... I tried doing my cable shows and, you know, I really appreciate you always there encouraging me and saying, you know, that's great. We just, we did some great, great cable shows with Tommy Pina, who was an amazing athlete. He's another one that, that uh, he went through some really changing times, went around. And I think Josh Davis, you'd love this story. This guy built himself up after having a problem with his kidney. He became, I went to his, I went to his shows in the Cape and he did bodybuilding. If anybody, Josh, you ever want to talk about, you 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 got to talk to Tommy Pina, who uh, just, you know, he recreated himself, man. I saw him win trophies. He won trophies on, um, he won some amazing trophies, you know, in contests. But since I've been, you know, kind of going on with all kinds of different stuff, I thought if you didn't mind, I could just do a real quick show and tell kind of thing. You mind? Sure, go ahead. You don't mind if I do this? I don't. No, I don't I mind. Go ahead. I think it's an important moment. For for those of you, when I was in COVID and all that stuff, I wasn't really, and I tried not to be bored. I, I do other things besides that. And this has a lot to do with my uh, growing up in the boys club and learning how to make crafts. But this is one of the things that I do. Um, I build these models. And these models were made from uh, paper roll. You know, if you ever see, uh, and let me see if I can get it in the right place. But I make these, these models here were made out of things that normally you would, you know, we call upcycle, things that you would always throw away. These are, these are the kind of things right here that I, that I produce. This keeps me busy. So I like to build, I build these models, these planes. I'm into planes. I love planes too. Be, Besides cars, Charlie, see, because planes don't go around and around. Planes go up and down, too, you know. So yeah. <laughs> this is all this is all book stuff. It comes out of a book. This is my this is this is a real plane. This is called an Albacost, uh, Albacost, Albacost. Can I say the word? Albacost. So yep. this is one. This is one that I made. If you can see the pilots in there. Those are made real with nice. sculpty. Yeah, made with sculpty clay. And um, this is what I do as a hobby. 
good. It keeps me real good. It keeps I, I, there's a lot of these around the house. My wife doesn't like that I hang them all over the place, but you know that's just how it goes, man. You know, this is the cave. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> gotta you gotta. <laughs> no, it's not true. Let me show. Wait, wait, wait. We gotta. I can't. I can't go without that. I gotta show you. If I don't show this, man, I'll be in trouble. Where is it? Hold on one second, because it's not really the cave. I'm, I'm going to show you, ladies, where I'm sitting, because I don't, I don't really own this corner. Okay, I'll tell you who owns this corner. All right, let me show you who owns this corner. <laughs> you see who owns this corner? Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. That's who really owns this corner. All right. I know you're helping out. I know you're helping her out, man. That crocheting needle is yours too, you know. I think I got. I think I'm in trouble when I get off of here. That's all right. Help! You know, uh, dial nine one one. No, Help actually, me. don't, don't, don't no, dial nine one one. No nine one one. Don't, don't snitch on her. Don't snitch. Uh, just uh. Security that one. The uh. Let's see. My wife's telling me to be nice. Okay, I better. You better I'm, listen to her, man. Yeah, I better we're be probably, nice. We're the only guys. We're not the only guys that listen to our wives. Uh, I do listen it, to my wife. To I say have it. Twenty-one years. Is it twenty-two or twenty-one? She says going on twenty-two. Yeah, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a podcast for you. It's like really, Russ. Really, Russ. You know, be the really Charlie and a really Russ show. the uh all right you guys all right brother i um i want to bring you back real real soon you know so let's talk about a few things get yourself back on here and um yeah if you get a chance try to get uh get get derrick rose down in new orleans is on that set of csi and you know get earl up in here too because earl's Earl's making waves, man. Earl is amazing. He's an amazing yeah. guy. I had him on here uh, just a few weeks ago. Earl was on here. Um, Earl was on here. Yeah. yeah. So, got to go on my YouTube channel, really, Charlie, and uh, they're all on there. What? Yeah. He's Earl definitely was hiding secrets, man. He didn't tell good, me. Good show. But I'm going to okay. speak to Mr. I'm going to speak to Mr. Rose, too. His latest thing was uh, the night in Miami, and uh, he had a little show, a little role in that that mm-hmm. skit with Regina Bell, right? Regina Bell, yeah, right. So, um, anyways, love you, brother. Keep up the good work. Love you, you too, know, man. And uh, and uh, and I'll see you uh, as soon as we can. You know. Okay. I'll catch you on your coffee break, so you can buy me a coffee. Hey. What time is the limo coming to get me? Um, that's that'll be there uh, tomorrow morning. Tomorrow um, morning. Yeah, and uh, oh, all right, okay. Uh, I'm good. I'm actually gonna let Michelle drive you. Oh no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Cause Why gonna, not? Because uh, he's gonna cuss me out. And stuff. She, she's gonna crash. You said she's gonna cuss me out. She's cuss me oh, out. Cu- cuss you out. Yeah, you know. Nona says, well, "Stop telling me stories." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right brother all right you know, okay good night god bless good you night. 
God bless put Nona. Ear, put the ear on this side next time, you know? Yeah, it's all right. But good job. Very good job. And uh, right. I'll talk to you soon, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. See you later, everybody. Thanks for stop- right. stopping by. See old Russ. All right. Joshua said, Bye. don't forget him. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone. Thank you. Um, definitely a good podcast extended time but i'm not gonna on a really charlie podcast i let people be who they are i let the stories come out i let them flow i really really um want to get a message out you know from my guest and russell definitely one of those guys that um has a lot to share with us he's around books every day and he's a book of knowledge definitely has a lot of information stored in that head of his and um I'm just trying to share with you guys. So continue to watch the Really Charlie podcast here on Anchor, Spotify, Facebook, StreamYard, and on YouTube. We're definitely going to continue with the shows as much as we can um, and, and definitely, you know, bring those educational and inspirational stories out there. I have quite a few guests the coming week. Um and uh, I'll be broadcasting those, uh, actually advertising those um, on the various pages. So thank you. Thank you very much for all that you guys have been doing for me, listening, sharing your comments. It really means a lot to me. And um, any suggestions, please inbox me. Got a guest that you want on the Really Charlie podcast. Let me know. Mask those beautiful faces. Hand sanitize and wash your hands. God bless. Stay blessed. Take care.